Good morning. Happy Easter. It's a, a joy to be with you, especially this morning for a couple of reasons. First, we've been gone for a little bit, so it's a joy to be back with all of you this morning. And it's especially a joy to be gathered here this morning as we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's a joy to be together as the people that God had brought to this place to worship and to rejoice in His mighty work in raising Jesus from the dead. So this morning we're going to rejoice, we're going to celebrate together, and we're going to start doing that through song. I invite you to stand with us and sing.
can be seated. Well, again, it's a joy to gather with you. If you are visiting with us this morning, my name is Tim. I'm the senior pastor here at Three Lake Evangelical Free Church. And we are just glad that you have chosen to come and be with us on this special Easter morning. It's a joy to have so many of you with us and just to celebrate together. A couple of announcements to bring to your attention about how this morning will work. It's a little bit different than normal. So following the service, we won't have our typical Sunday school hour this morning after the service, but instead we'll go downstairs or there will be a Easter brunch where we'll just continue celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. So following the service, I invite you to make your way downstairs and be with us for that. Um, we'll eat together and rejoice together that way. So after the service, we'll go down, I'll pray for us, and then we will get into eating. <laughs> A couple other, just nothing to bring to your attention. So today is, in addition to Easter Sunday, it's a communion Sunday for us. And so at the close of our service, we will take communion together. It's another way to remember and rejoice over all that Jesus has done for us. As part of our communion studies, we take a, a special benevolence offering, which is used to meet the needs of our community, both in, within the church and outside of the church. And so if you want to contribute to that benevolence offering, there will be someone at the door holding an offering plate. The benevolence offering can go on that tray. Regular tithing offerings that go to the, the work of our church, or the work of us here at the church, can go into the, the wooden boxes that are on the back wall if you want to contribute to what we're doing here. But again, it's just great to be with you and to rejoice together. And so as we continue rejoicing, would you join me in prayer? Father, we... so thankful for this moment right now, this morning, where we can come together. We can pause from our various busy lives. We can come together to be the people you have brought together by your grand design in this moment, at this place, in this time. Praise that you do not leave us to live the Christian life on our own, but you provide brothers and sisters in the church body to be together with and to fellowship with and to encourage one another. We thank you for your wisdom in that. And this morning in particular, as we celebrate the resurrection of your Son, Father, we are so thankful that we can rejoice together. We can rejoice that you did not leave us to suffer the consequences of our sin on our own, but that you sent your Son, Jesus, to live among us, to be like us in every way, and yet to never sin. So that on the cross, he could bear the penalty of our 
sin and our unrighteousness. Yet because He never sinned, death could not hold them and He rose again. Would that truth never get old in our ears? Would it never get cold in our hearts? But would we marvel this morning at the incredible work you've done for us through Jesus? Would we rejoice that because Jesus rose from the dead, we can be confident that this life is not the end for us, but that we will one day rise and for those of us who trust in Him will be with Him forever. Would we rejoice that no matter what sins we've committed in the past or may even be struggling with now, that through faith in Jesus they are all dealt with and paid for. And we can live free of that sin we can live confident that we are forgiven if we've trusted in Jesus. Father, the fact that you in your awesome power and majesty and grandeur would care and love each of us enough to send your Son for us, it's truly amazing. Jesus, the fact that you would willingly die for us because you love us is hard to fathom. This morning, would we rejoice that those things are true? God, would you work in our heart to give us an even deeper and greater understanding of those truths than each of us has ever had before? Would you work Give us fresh appreciation for all that this morning, this Easter celebration represents. Father, as we sing and as we hear your word, would you be glorified this morning? As we fellowship together, as we rejoice together, would you be honored through how we interact with one another, how we fellowship together? Father, would all that takes place here this morning serve to honor and glorify you? Christ on Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we continue to sing?
the darkness we were waiting without hope without light till from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the
Breathe. 
lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Oh God, you are my living just saying the grave has no hold on us any longer we have trusted in Jesus he has defeated death he has overcome the grave Jesus you are our living hope so thankful for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> A little bit earlier this week, our family got back from a, a nearly two-week trip that we took through kind of the southeast part of the United States. We, we visited... Our old church in Louisville, we stayed in the Smoky Mountains, we, we saw Vanessa's aunt in South Carolina, and we camped with my sister in, in North Carolina, and then we, we explored New River Gorge National Park up in West Virginia. I share all that with you, not to make you jealous that I was in like 70 degrees all last week when it was not so nice here, but I share that primarily because like, if you think about just that route... Like we spent a lot of time driving through the Appalachian Mountains. As we were driving through the Appalachian Mountains, I just thought a lot about, a, a lot about how like, people are willing to undertake huge, long-term projects in order to solve challenges. We, we were driving through the Appalachian Mountains, and we were driving along all these like, narrow, winding roads, up and down mountains, and I just thought about all the work that must have gone into to building these roads, right? Clearing away trees and blasting away rock and it all just seemed like monumental work. And that was just like the regular roads. There were several times on our drive when apparently it was too hard to build a road up or around or past a mountain. And so they just like built a tunnel right through the middle of a mountain. We drove through several long tunnels, just like under tons and tons of rock. Like I just struck by the sheer audacity that someone would have who would like look at a mountain and say, you know what we should do? Plow a hole through the middle of a thing. Like, like that's like, so audacious, it blows my mind. But perhaps the most impressive feat of, of problem-solving engineering was, was at... New River Gorge National Park. One of the centerpieces of that park is the New River Gorge Bridge. Right? This, is, this is that bridge. Right? It's over 3,000 feet long. 
The roadway sits nearly 900 feet above the surface of the river at the bottom of the gorge, making it both the longest and highest single-span arch bridge in the United States. It's one of the longest and highest in the world altogether. So we, we crossed this bridge on our way to visit the National Park, and driving over that bridge takes about 45 seconds to get across that bridge. On our way out of the park, we took the old route, the way people used to have to travel before that bridge was built back in the 1970s. That old route involved taking this narrow, winding road down one side of the gorge. You cross this old wood plank bridge, and you drive up another narrow, winding road up the other side of the gorge. It took us about 25 minutes of driving to cross the gorge that way. But back before the bridge was completed and there was more traffic taking that route, it often took more than 45 minutes to cross from one side of the gorge to the other taking that road. So that bridge reduced travel time from 45 minutes to 45 seconds. So there's no doubt right, that this bridge is, is valuable. But again, just like the tunnel through the mountain, it just blew my mind that like, someone would even conceive of a bridge like that. Like, like even driving over it, I thought, like, there's no way this thing should be standing. Right? That's a little queasy. I didn't feel great as I drove over the thing. Even though I knew it had been there for like 50 years, like, surely it's safe. But the logic didn't win in that case. I was still a little, little queasy. Right? Right? It was just... Just looking at it, like, it's mind-blowing. Like, in fact, one of our kids' questions was, like, how did they build that? And when they asked that question, I had to say my least favorite word as a parent, which is, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know how you do that. So, like, I looked it up eventually, and, like, the actual construction process was a little bit too complex for me to understand. Right? But what I could understand was that building the bridge took three years it cost the equivalent of more than $131 million in today's money to build it. But one of the things I kept thinking about was like, how much joy the completion of that bridge must have brought the people who had to cross that river each and every day. According to one statistic I found, more than 16,000 vehicles crossed that bridge on a daily basis. That's a lot of people who would rejoice when that bridge was completed, 16,000 vehicles back and forth who now can travel in 45 seconds. We take 45 minutes. In fact, the, the completion of that bridge was such a big deal at the time it was completed that there's this thing now that it called simply Bridge Day. It happens every year since the bridge has been completed, and it's just all about celebrating what a big deal this bridge is. It draws over 100,000 people to the middle of West Virginia. Right? It's like a huge deal to have this bridge, but it's a huge undertaking. Right? And the point of all this being right, that, that the completion of, of a long project or a big task can feel satisfying and is worth rejoicing over. Right? Completing something monumental like this bridge is, is worth celebrating. And that resonates with me this, this morning for kind of two reasons. One of those reasons is small, and one of those is immensely important. 
But the small way that that resonates with me is that this morning is the final sermon in our Luke series. We've been going through the book of Luke here for nearly two and a half years. We started going through Luke on November 1st, 2020, 2021. And today we, we, be, we bring the book of Luke to a close. And it just feels significant that we've gone through 24 chapters of a book, bit by bit, seeing who Jesus is and what he has to teach us from his life story. Of course, the far more significant, far grander event that we, we celebrate the culmination of this morning is the culmination of God's rescue plan for humanity in the resurrection of Jesus. But unlike the completion of that bridge, or unlike the completion of a sermon series, God's rescue plan for all mankind lasted way more than two or three years. But it's been in operation for thousands of years. Way back in Genesis chapter 3, the very beginning of human history, Adam and Eve are deceived by Satan, the serpent, and they sin. And in their sin, they break their perfect fellowship with God because they ate fruit that God had told them not to eat. In fact, God had told them ahead of time, if you eat this fruit, you will surely die. Because they did that, we have lived every day of our lives in a broken and hurting and fallen world. And as Adam and Eve's offspring, we have, we have followed in their path. We've done things that God has told us not to do. We have rebelled against God, and therefore we too deserve to die both physically and spiritually. Because of our sin, we were powerless to work our own way back into God's favor. So the only way that we could be made right was with God was if God himself chose to come and rescue us. And remarkably, because he loves us, because he loves us as his children, he did just that. And in fact, he promised Adam and Eve right after they sinned that he would do that very thing. He would one day send a rescuer who would defeat Satan, sin, and death and bring people back to God. In Genesis 3, God says to Satan, after he had deceived Adam and Eve into eating the fruit, he says to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The promise here that God makes way back in the very first pages of the Bible is that one day there is coming a child of Eve who will crush the head of Satan. And then for thousands and thousands of years, God's people wait for this promise to be fulfilled. They wait for the one who will come and who will crush the head of Satan. The entirety of the Old Testament is is a build-up to the climax and culmination of the story where, Jesus, or where Satan will be defeated. And as we've worked our way through these 24 chapters of Luke in this sermon series, we've seen that Jesus himself clearly sees himself as the fulfillment of that promise. 
on Friday, at our Good Friday service, we talked about how Jesus' last word that he died on the cross were, it is finished. And part of what was finished at the cross was, was God's rescue plan. His whole plan to save mankind was finished there. In the book of Hebrews, we read this. Since therefore the children, that is us, mankind, share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same thing. Like saying like Jesus became fully man. So that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Jesus, through his death, destroyed the devil. He crushed the head of the serpent. It is finished. And yet that's not quite where the story ends. The work of Jesus to defeat, defeat Satan is finished, but the story continues. Because although Jesus needed to die to defeat Satan, he did not stay dead. After the crucifixion of Jesus, we come to the story of the resurrection in Luke chapter 24. We read it in verse, starting in verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. If you grew up in church, you know this story. Maybe it's easy to take those words for granted to rush through what's said here. But just, just think for a moment what a surreal moment this must have been for these women. They saw Jesus brutally killed on the cross. They saw probably his side pierced with a spear. They knew he was dead. And they go to the tomb to anoint and care for his body. When they get there, the the stone is rolled away and Jesus is not there. It must have been utterly surreal. But it only gets more surreal from there. In verse 4 we read, While they were wondering about this, Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember, how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. These women, they were, they were stunned by the idea that, that Jesus could have risen from the dead. But the angels who are there, who they remind, in a, remind these women that Jesus himself had told them that that was exactly what was going to happen. Jesus himself said that he would be delivered over to the hands of sinners, that he would be crucified, but that on the third day he would rise again. But when Jesus told them that, 
The whole concept of rising from the dead was so unthinkable that what he said didn't really register. And it's only when these women are reminded of his word by these angels that they recall Jesus saying these things and it all kind of clicked the place into place in their heads. And so they, they run off and they, they tell the apostles, but the apostles don't really believe either. Verse 11 says of the apostles, they did not believe the women because their words seemed like to them like nonsense. And on the one hand, it's easy to think, like, come on, disciples, you should know better, like, listen. On the other hand, they're telling, the women are telling the disciples that, like, a dead man is alive. Yeah, that should sound like nonsense. But Peter, the apostle who had, who had denied Jesus three times, he hopes against hope that what they say might be true, and so we're told in verse 12 that he got up and he ran to the tomb. And bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away wondering to himself what had happened. So Peter goes to the tomb, and he sees also that it's empty, and he too wondered at the resurrection of Jesus. And often when we tell the story of the resurrection, like we end it there. Right? We end it with angels saying, He is not here. He has risen. We end it with Peter discovering the empty tomb. That's more or less how Matthew and Mark end their own tellings of this story. But what I love about the Gospel of Luke, one of the many things, but this in particular, that like Luke gives us two more little stories after that that help us flesh out and see how the resurrection of Jesus fits into God's grand rescue plan for all humanity. And if, if nothing else this morning, probably many of you here have heard the Easter story many times. But if, if any one thing kind of stands out to you this morning from this story, I hope it be, would be that it's this. That the resurrection is not just like, a nice little bonus tacked down to the end of like, 33 years of Jesus' life. But the resurrection is the culmination of a plan by God that's been in process for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. We see and zoom out and see the full scope of the story and what a huge deal the resurrection is. That it's the centerpiece of all of history, not just one piece of Jesus' life. And so we see these two little stories that, that Luke adds on to drive that fact home for us. First is in Luke 24, looking at verses 13 through 35. We're not going to read the whole thing, but what we see in this story is that there are two disciples of Jesus who are walking on the road to Emmaus when suddenly... Jesus appears to them, but they don't recognize him as Jesus. They, they think he's just a stranger, and they're kind of downcast and depressed. And so Jesus asks them why they're feeling so downcast, and they start explaining to him about what, about what has happened with Jesus. 
don't really understand what's happening. They're, they're sad. They're confused. They're frightened. And Jesus said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophet has spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scripture concerning himself. So Jesus comes and he explains to these disciples how all of the Old Testament, all of Moses and the prophets, all of the Old Testament is really about him. It all points forward to him. Jesus is showing the disciples how he is the culmination and the fulfillment of God's great rescue plan that's been in operation for thousands of years. And then suddenly these two disciples, they recognize that the person walking with them is Jesus. And so they return to Jerusalem and they go and tell the rest of the disciples. And even while they're explaining all this, Jesus himself appears again. And he tells the whole group of the disciples this. That this is what I told you while I was still alive with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Again, Jesus confirms that he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He is the fulfillment of God's great rescue plan. That's why as we've gone through the book of Luke in this sermon series, we've, we've stopped along the way. We've done little mini-series through Old Testament books. You can't fully understand who Jesus is unless you understand the Old Testament and the pro- promises that Jesus was coming to fulfill. And the resurrection is the crowning jewel of of God's rescue plan. Yes, right? the cross is it's where the work of Jesus was finished. It is where he paid for the, the penalty of our sins. But without the resurrection, the cross would have been meaningless. Because without the resurrection, we would have no way of knowing that Jesus actually did achieve what he said he was going to achieve. The resurrection is a a declaration by God the Father that Jesus Christ is His Son. That He really did live a perfectly obedient life. In Romans 1, Paul puts it this way. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. It was through His resurrection that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power which is just a shorthand way of saying that everything that Jesus claimed about himself during his lifetime is true. The resurrection is the declaration that Jesus really did live a sinless life. That he really does have the power and authority to forgive sins. That that God's wrath against our sins really has been satisfied through the death of Jesus on the cross. If Jesus had not been raised we can never be certain that Jesus had successfully completed the work of paying for our sins. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, If the Lord Jesus Christ had not literally risen physically from the grave, we could never be certain 
that he had ever really finished the work, if he has died for our sins, we must not only be certain that he has died, but that he has finished dying, that there is no longer death. When God raised his son from the dead, he was proclaiming to the whole world he has done everything. He has fulfilled every demand. Here he is, risen. Therefore, I am satisfied with him. The resurrection is God's declaration that death is fully defeated. That sin has been fully, totally overcome. That Satan has been vanquished. And those truths are a source of hope. And without them, we cannot be sure. Without the resurrection, we cannot be sure that those truths are true. But with the resurrection, God declares that everything that needed to be done for your sins and my sins and all our sins to be forgiven, everything that needed to be done for us to have eternal life has been accomplished in Jesus. The resurrection is the declaration and confirmation that what Jesus did on the cross was effective. The resurrection is also more than that. The resurrection is also a a promise of future glory for us. The resurrection is a promise of our own future resurrection. In 1 Corinthians, we read, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ... We are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits. Then, when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Ultimately, the great hope that is offered to each of us in the resurrection is that we too will one day be raised from the dead. We will be raised to be with Jesus and we will spend eternity with him in the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus' resurrection is a promise that, that death is defeated. It's a promise that Jesus reigns. The resurrection of Jesus is why Paul can say that for me to to live is Christ, but to die is gain. The resurrection lets him say that because he knows that death is not the end. The resurrection of Jesus turns death from the great curse into gain, in Paul's words. That's how powerful the resurrection is. Take the sting away from death and it makes it into gain for Paul. 
We sometimes sing the song here, By the Grace of God, and the line in that song that I love, which says, I know the plans He has for me. Don't finish at my grave. We can sing that. We can know that that line is true because of the resurrection. That the grave, death, is not the end for us because Jesus has defeated death. Because His resurrection is the first fruits. They are a foretaste of the resurrection we will all experience. This life is not the end. The resurrection promises us that. The Bible ends with the book of Revelation. And in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5, there's this glorious picture of what this resurrection life will look like. The Apostle John writes in Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, but there was no longer any, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. The resurrection that they promised that those words will come true, that there is coming a day when there will be no more pain or suffering or death, when every tear will be wiped away. The resurrection is a confirmation that Jesus is who he claimed to be. The resurrection is a promise that we too will one day be resurrected. But more than that, it's also something else. Specifically, the resurrection is an invitation. An invitation to do one of two things. It's either an invitation to place your faith in Jesus for forgiveness or to rejoice that your sins already are forgiven. In the book of Romans, Paul is explaining to his readers what is required for them to be forgiven of their sins. And he says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. But to be a Christian, to be, have your sins forgiven, Paul says you must believe not just that Jesus died for your sins, but that God raised him from the dead. The resurrection is <clears throat> the claim, <clears throat> give me, the resurrection is the claim on which like, all of Christianity, our <clears throat> whole faith, rises or false. Right? Because it's the claim that sets Christianity apart from every other religion, every other worldview. Right? Plenty of religions claim to follow great teachers. Plenty of religions claim to follow miracle workers. 
Many men have claimed to speak for God. But what sets Christianity apart, what makes Jesus unique, is the claim of the resurrection. As we read earlier, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. If the resurrection isn't true, then the rest of the claims of Christianity quickly fall away. But the good news is there are plenty of good reasons to believe that the resurrection really did happen, really is true. Jesus' enemies, those who opposed Christianity, knew from the very beginning that if they could just prove that Jesus had not been raised from the dead, then they could put an end to the growth of Christianity. All they had to do was produce the dead body of Jesus and the spread of Christianity would come to a screeching halt. But they couldn't do it. There was no body to produce. If you're here this morning, you're just here because like going to church is what you do on Easter, but you've never taken the time to really think carefully and consider what you believe about Jesus. I just urge you to do that. If you've, if faith has kind of been a secondary part of your life, you've never really thought too deeply on whether the resurrection really happened. I invite you, I urge you to do that. We are, we are here this morning, we are celebrating Easter because we believe that Jesus was a real man who really died and who really bodily rose from the dead. And because we believe that, it changes everything. Tim Keller says, if, if Jesus rose from the dead, and you have to accept all that he said, if he didn't rise from the dead, why worry about anything he said? Either Jesus is who he says he is, and therefore he deserved our full devotion, our full faith, our full obedience. Or he isn't. In which case, there's no reason to worry about anything he said or did. But that doesn't leave room for much half-hearted, wishy-washy, maybe sort of faith. So if you're here and you've never thought carefully about what you believe about Jesus. I just urge you to do that. It's only through Jesus and his death on the cross that the penalty for our sins, the death we deserve for our sins can be paid for and dealt with and we can be forgiven. That's why we're here celebrating and rejoicing this morning. If you have questions about what it means to believe that or trust that, I'd love to talk to you more. I'd urge you to really consider what you think and believe about who Jesus is. For those of us who are here who, who have trusted Jesus, who, who have committed ourselves to following him, then the resurrection in this morning is an invitation to rejoice. To rejoice knowing that no matter what sins you may struggle with, they've been paid for and dealt with by Jesus. To rejoice that no matter what trial you may be going through now, there is coming a day when 
we will all receive resurrection bodies and there will be no more pain or suffering or death. There is coming a day when all will be glorious. And while we wait for that day, we remind ourselves over and over again of all that Jesus has done for us. preach our, the gospel to ourselves daily, reminding ourselves of all that Jesus has done and that it never grows old or stale. And one of the ways we remind ourselves of that is in communion, and taking communion together as the church body gathered together. And in communion, we remember that our, our sins were so serious an offense to God that they deserve nothing short of death. And in communion, we remember that God loved us enough to send His very own Son to die that death in our place. And we had done nothing to deserve Jesus coming for us. God sent His Son to die for us. While we were His enemies, Christ died for us. Taking communion, we remember that the broken body of Jesus and the spilled blood of Jesus washes away our sins. So we're going to take communion together in just a moment here. It's a way to remind ourselves of all that Jesus has done for us. And the way we're going to do that is just in a few moments, I'm going to invite you to to come forward up the side aisles. There's juice and bread at the, each of these tables up front. In the wicker baskets on the back of each table, there are gluten-free elements, if you would prefer that. But I invite you to come. Take the juice, take the bread, return to your seats, and we will partake together in just a few moments. If you're unable or teacher for you to have someone bring you the elements, we'd be happy to do that. You just raise your hand and we will, we will bring you the elements. But as you take them to return to your seat, as you wait to partake together, I just invite you to reflect on all that Jesus has done in his death and in his resurrection. So when you're ready, you may come and take the elements and return to your seats. God sent his
Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, he, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Partake together. same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me partake father we Thank you for the chance to remember, be reminded of all that you've done for us in Jesus, to remember how Jesus joyfully, willingly came to live among us, to be amongst us in our sin. How he willingly walked the road to the cross. He allowed His body to be broken. He allowed His blood to be poured out all so that those who trust and believe in Him can have their sins forgiven. We thank You. We rejoice that after he was crucified, Jesus didn't stay dead, but he rose again. That's both a confirmation of 
who he was and as a promise that there is coming a day when we too will be resurrected like him and rejoice in glory forever. But I thank you for the work you've done through history to bring each person here this morning to this place at this time the way this message about Jesus has passed from person to person for thousands of years how that message has fallen on each of our ears to bring us to this place to rejoice over all that you've done for us through the resurrection of Jesus. Father, would we leave here today just astounded and amazed by your goodness, by your love, by your majesty, we stand in awe of all that you've done for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the grace and the mercy you've shown each one of us. I pray that in response, each of us would live lives dedicated to glorifying you and seeing your kingdom advance. Praise on Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> the reminder, if you leave this morning, we'd invite you downstairs to join us for brunch and to celebrate together in that way. As you go this morning, would you just go rejoicing at the goodness and wonder and glory of God and all that He's done for us in Jesus. You are dismissed. Yeah.